Welcome to another edition of Anthony T's Hard Wrestling Show. I'm Anthony T. In this edition, it will be an interview-only episode. I know, we've done a lot of interview-only episodes. As In fact, the last two episodes have been interview-only episodes. As I have two interviews in this episode. Next segment, I will be talking to Brian Matthew Ward, director and writer of the upcoming film Voyeur which is currently raising funds on Indiegogo. Then after that, I will be interviewing writer, director, musician Jay Crimson, as we'll talk about his films Green Hell, The Witch, and Crickets in the Snow. All of those films can be found on Troma Now. I'll have those two interviews. Then in What's Anthony T. Watching, I will be reviewing... A film that focuses on social media horror. Yes, I'm reviewing a film that focuses on social media horror. And usually those films turn out to be very bad. Who knows? This film might be good. You would have to wait to the end of the program to find out as I review followers. So I got two interviews and... My review of followers on this edition of Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show podcast. As I will be back with my interview with Brian Matthew Wood. Welcome to Dark Discussions, your place for the discussion of horror film, fiction, and all that's fantastic. A weekly podcast where the discussion is about the most recent horror and genre films. Intelligent talk on a genre that deserves intelligence. A conversation between co-hosts discussing not only the films, but also the connotation that the directors and screenwriters are trying to articulate. If you want more than a review, listen to Dark Discussions. And speaking of perception, there's just one more scene I want to talk about, which is after Caleb discovers that Kyoto's a robot, Kyoto kind of peels off her skin, showing him what's underneath. Now, wait a minute. I know where you're going with this, but tell me you weren't already thinking this 15 minutes earlier in the film. Exactly what he's thinking at that moment. Which is he's a robot, too. Oh, I considered the possibility. Right, and that's what I like, is the fact that the writers were smart enough to know that this is what the audience would be thinking. We've all seen Blade Runner. <laughs> right. www.darkdiscussions.com Wherever podcasts are found. Welcome back. I'm here with Brian Matthew Ward, an actor and director who is here to talk about his latest film, Voyeur, which is currently raising funds on Indiegogo. How are you doing today, Brian? Doing great. Uh, thanks for having me. What made you want to become a filmmaker? Well, since uh, since I was a little kid, I was always making up movie ideas. And um, I would actually say uh, whenever I was a little kid in the 80s, my parents bought me the VHS of The Making of Nightmare on Elm Street Part 4. And I really think that sparked my interest because I, you know, as a little kid, knew how these effects and everything were done from watching that movie. Or I'm sorry, that behind-the-scenes video, and yeah, it really sparked my interest. Besides being a director, you're also an actor as well. 
What mm-hmm. made you also want to act in films? Well, actually, uh, acting was another potential interest for me, but I went to school for, for acting. That's what I went to college for, so I studied theater and acting, so I I guess I got my start with that, whereas film, I'm all self-taught, learned everything myself, but I definitely enjoy both. What are the differences do you see in film acting and theater acting? So for me, what I've noticed is the primary differences is whenever it comes to film acting, everything is a lot more subtle, and it's really focused around your face and your eyes and what you do with that far more than big movements with your body. Because, for example, you know, in film acting, you may just do the subtle movement of your eyes to indicate something, whereas you in theater, for the audience to see it, you kind of have to have a, do a big bodily gesture. And I think that's the major thing. And then maybe projecting your voice for theater is way more of a thing than it is in film. Because I think you can get, for the most part, pretty soft-spoken in film, whereas in theater, you got to make sure the entire audience can hear you. So to me, I think those are the major differences. You've done short films as the director previously to Voyeur. Mm-hmm. As Voyeur is going to be your first feature film, what made you want to start out with short films? Really, the answer is pretty simple. It costs less money to make them. Uh, it is less film time. A lot of times you can get less people together and film it. So overall, it's easy to make, and it gives you a good practice. Like, you get a lot of good practice from short films. I did my first one, actually, when I was in college in acting class. My acting teacher came up with the idea for the short and I directed it on a $20 budget. <laughs> so, yeah. And that was 2003, so that was when I did my first short film. Now, you have tales like Netflix Kill Kill. How did you come up with a title like that? All right. So, Netflix and Kill 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 was like me and my friend Jared, who's also one of the producers on Voyeur. Me and him constantly are talking and joking about uh, Dr. Loomis from Halloween and how crazy he is. And so we ended up coming up with, as mainly he came up with this character that just goes on talking on and on about this killer, but it's obvious that he's the one that's nuts whenever you listen to him speaking. And we kind of just moved it to, it was like, okay, at the time we were coming up with it, Netflix was getting really big and there was Netflix and chill. So we're like, okay, Netflix and kill. Then we go and look and there's like two or three little uh youtube videos already called that and i'm like hmm well let's make it like sound like ultra cheap it's netflix and kill 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 (laughs) (laughs) so um we uh, did that uh and just had a lot of fun with it we did the first one which was a parody of uh the trailer for the original halloween and then we went through and did let's do a second one okay well what's the second one gonna be and i'm like i guess it's gonna be uh prince of darkness we're just gonna go on a john carpenter theme and then the next one was they live. <laughs> so if we do another one, it's going to be the thing. What made <laughs> you silly videos? <laughs> what made you want to make the transition to feature length films? Um, honestly, I've always wanted to do that. It's just a matter of money. That's like been the major thing keeping me from doing it. But that's always been my goal is to do feature length films. And as a matter of fact, uh. The movie Voyeur, I've had the idea for that uh, since 2009, 
So this has been an idea I've been wanting to do for quite a while. And I've actually had to update some things in the script for the times because technology has changed and, you know, stuff like that. So, uh, and then also I, I changed locations for it too because originally it was meant to be set in LA and I ended up changing it to be set sort of in an every town sort of thing. Speaking of Voyeur, tell everyone about the film. All right. So, um, Voyeur is, well, first of all, it's influenced heavily, if you can't tell by this interview already, by John Carpenter and primarily Halloween out of his movies. But also, aside from that, it draws heavily from Jallo films like uh, Deep Red's one that yeah, I pulled a little from, Phenomena, and you know, basically mainly Dario Argento Jallo films. And aside from that, one of the things that we were trying to do with this film in the story is focus way hev- heavier on the victims than the killer. The entire plot is focused around what's going on with the victim. So the killer himself is more of an interrupting force to the movie than an actual driver of the plot. So it's like whatever they got going on, he comes in, kills somebody, and just throws it all out of loop. What made you want to focus your film on three female characters as your leads? Um, I feel like, and, and this is just me from watching horror, I feel like horror is a female uh, genre. For me, like every horror movie, well, not every, but almost every horror movie that I enjoy, the lead is a female. And I kind of want to carry on with that. And then on top of that, when I was developing the serial killer and coming up with his way of doing things, I came up pretty early on that he targets women. And that that's his sole targets is uh, women. And I've just kind of kept to that. And I decided to make the uh, women the leads of the movie. Reading from your campaign page from the film, the film is going to focus on the evaluation of negative relationships. What made you want to focus on that, as that is not explored enough in slasher films? So, when I was, I mean, it's really kind of simple. Whenever I was uh, first developing the plot, I was, let's see, 2009... I was probably in my mid-twenties at the time, and I guess I was living in L.A. and just seeing, like, all these different people, like, and just how people could just treat people horribly. And I, I was preoccupied with that while coming up with the story. So I just started coming up with characters that were either, like, one of the lead characters of the movie ends up finding a envelope full of money and just snatches it and stuff like that. There's one of the lead characters. Their father is a drug addict, and there's like this sort of negative thing going on with their relationship and so forth and so forth. And that was just what was preoccupying my mind when I was developing the story at the time. Just people can be shit. Also, you're going to focus on trauma aspects as well as it seems like it's going to be a serious horror film. Mm-hmm. What made you also want to focus on that aspect besides the relationships? I think that it's interesting to me. Like, I feel like uh, a lot of us do have, like, various traumas in our lives, or we have family members with certain traumas, 
like I say, it could be drug abuse, can be, I don't know, like a bad relationship, like with a significant other, could be depression, could be alcoholism, drug abuse, you know, whatever it happens to be. I think this is something that people can relate to is those traumas. The film looks like it's going to have a very good cast, including Angel Bradford, who's mm-hmm. going to be in a lot of upcoming films, including The House That Eats Flesh, and mm-hmm. Donald Farmer's Debbie Does Demons, and Shock Exorcist, to the name a few. You also mm-hmm. have Charles B. Lincoln, Director of the excellent vampire film Teresa and Allison. In and I 20... watched that one. That's really good. That was a really good film. Yes, it is. It was, I think, one of my top three films. Mm-hmm. I'd like to say either 2019 or 2020 when they had it on Amazon Prime. Yeah. What made you want to work with the both of them? Well, okay, so Angel, I met, I forgot what year it was, but it was when I was working on Backwoods Bubba. She was doing makeup effects on that. I met her, and I thought she was cool then, and then I worked with her again in this movie directed by the same director of Backwoods Bubba uh, called Martian Massacre, and we acted together in it, and I was like, oh, she's she's pretty good. And so that kind of led toward me wanting to uh, work with her, and then she's just Really super uh, down-to-earth, friendly, good to work with. So having, you know, acting chops and that, you know, can't beat that. And then with Charles, uh, whenever I was doing the podcast that I used to do, which I might bring back eventually if I get over uh, my podcast laziness. But um, (laughs) anyway, I interviewed him on that, and I'm like, oh, man, I I really like Charles. I'd love to work with him. And, And I saw his, Teresa and Allison saw his acting in that, and I'm like, He's good. And so uh, I offered him a part in this, and and uh, he actually was drawn more to a, a even shittier character. So I'm like, you know what? You can have the shittier character if you want that. <laughs> and I'm like, and he freaking came in, and we did a read-through, and he's just owning that character. <laughs> Besides him, tell me who else is going to be cast in the film. Okay, so there, there's uh, a few, but um, let's see. So... Uh, Donnie Pierre, an actress from Louisiana, is going to play another one of the lead characters named Melissa. Actor named Solace Winterborn from uh, from Charlotte, North Carolina. He's going to be playing that character's father. And then there's a uh, actor from North Carolina named Prince Shipman. He's going to be playing a major character. There is a uh, another character named Jesslyn, or I'm sorry, actress named Jesslyn Blue from New York City. She's going to um, be playing a character named Megan. And Mark D. Valenti, who's also a, a podcast host, uh, he does the uh, Brain Burrow podcast. He's going to have a, a small role in this. Let's see, there's Monique Marshall. She's going to be uh, playing a character. So There's quite a few. And if I didn't name anybody, you have to excuse me. I'm scatterbrained. <laughs> you forget yourself. Oh, that that's purpose. I'm trying to keep focus off me. But anyway, yeah, I'm playing a character named Matt in the film. <laughs> I was going to ask you about that. See, originally I wasn't going going to, but I ended up like I'm like I'm going to try directing and acting at the same time. See how that goes. <laughs> so yeah, I'm yep, definitely playing Matt. What made you decide to act in this film? Uh, in this film, oh 
Well, man, that was a long process. Um, so originally I was trying to cast for it and I couldn't quite find somebody, uh, that worked for the character. And then there was some that, uh, you know, they had like, I don't know, little conflicts that kept them from going. And I finally decided, you know what? It's getting close enough. And I'm like, I based the character off of me. So I'm going to play the character and I'm just going to go, go for it. I'm like, it's based off me. I should be able to play it. When does production start on this film? Uh, so it will be uh, start filming the second weekend of uh, July, and it will go uh, film for about 10 days. The film's currently looking for fundraising on Indiegogo. What made you want to use Indiegogo compared to Kickstarter? Um, honestly, like... Uh, I just and this and I could be wrong on this. It seems like both platforms work, but to me, it feels like Indiegogo is a little bit more gear, geared for film than Kickstarter is. But that's just the way I observe it. So I mean, any of those uh, various platforms seem to to do well because I've seen people raise money on uh, all different Kickstarter, Indiegogo, uh, what was it GoFundMe? So. But, yeah, I just chose that one because to me it feels like it. the way they got it set up works more for film, in my opinion. How much are you looking to raise for this campaign? Um, so we got the goal uh, set at 5000 and we are already at 3000 right now. Uh, probably be more by the time this airs. And, uh, honestly, I would love to go above it, too, but uh, if we hit that mark, that should be definitely a good starting place the 5,000, but, um, yeah, ideally I would like to get to 7,000, something like that, if possible. Will there be any stretch goals in this campaign? Um, there, uh, there will, uh, once we, uh, meet that, but, uh, the stretch goals are basically going to be for upgrading equipment and, you know, stuff like that to make the film look better. What are the funds from this campaign going towards? Uh, the vast majority of it is going toward the actors and crew. Um, so be it uh, paying for, you know, their acting, you know, or providing food, providing lodging, because a lot of them are traveling and have, have a place to stay while they are. Uh, travel, because we have actors coming from New York, from Louisiana, from uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, we have a crew member coming from California. Uh, so a lot of it's going to that. So. Like I say, the vast majority is going to that. And then practical effects, because um, even though there's not going to be an insane amount of gore and whatnot, there is going to be you know a little bit of gore and whatnot. Not nothing major, but because it's more you know like a uh, closer to something like the first Halloween as far as gore levels and whatnot. So not like a whole lot there, but we are going to need a little bit of money for that. Um, let's see, there's uh, equipment. Sound equipment, stuff like that, uh, various camera equipment, lights. What are some of the perks available if someone contributes to your campaign? All right, so um, there are uh, a really popular one seems to be Get Your Voice in the movie. And uh, for that, within the movie itself, a lot of the characters' uh, repeated theme is them listening to music during major parts of the movie. So we've decided to have a perk where people can provide their voice and be commercials on, like, the radio or 
DJs or whatever, you know, between when they're listening to the music. So that's one perk. You can uh, be a uh, featured uh, person in the film with no lines, but you, you'll be uh, heavily featured in uh, mainly the bar scenes. Or And then there's one where you can uh, have a small acting role with at least one guaranteed line. And uh, that's also mainly the bar scenes. Then there's one where you can act in a scene with Angel Bradford. And let's see, then there's associate producer perk, producer perk, executive producer perk. And then there's also an executive producer VIP perk to where if you submit for that one, you will be the first name shown in the opening credits right when the movie first comes on. You'll have your name up at the top of the poster and up at the top of the movie. So that's also a part giving away only three of those because, you know, there ain't a lot of room on the movie or the poster to put a whole bunch of names. But uh, let's see. And then, of course, there's special thanks. There's digital copy of the film, DVD, Blu-ray, poster, a bundle, with signed bundle with the poster and Blu-ray. So there's quite a few. What's the goal to have this film finished to buy? All right, so I, my my goal that I'm saying is I'm going to have it finished by the end of the year. It's going to be completed, ready to go, end of the year. Where can they find more information about your Indiegogo campaign for Voyeur and social media for the film? All right, so the main uh, place to keep up with the movie is going to be on the Facebook group, which is Voyeur the Movie. So if you type in Voyeur the Movie on Facebook, we have a Facebook group for that. And then um, on the Indiegogo page itself, you should be able to uh, to find that pretty easily on Google. Just type in uh, Voyeur Indiegogo, and it comes up uh, right at the top for me. And so I think that should be – and if you don't find it there, Voyeur the Movie Facebook group, you should find it right through there to link to it. Well, Brian, I want to thank you for coming on to my podcast. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Have a good day. You too. Every day there's a family struggling with hospital bills to care for their sick child who is fighting an illness. There's a woman who is fighting breast cancer and is having trouble making ends meet while paying for their treatment. And there are burn victims that are going through treatments to heal their deep wounds. There is a charity in the horror community that helps these people. Scares That Care is an organization that helps families deal with the bills for their child. They help women get the treatment they need to fight breast cancer. And they help people who are dealing with severe burns get the help they need to heal. Scares That Care is a 100% volunteer organization and 501c3 nonprofit charity that is dedicated to helping these people in fighting real monsters. To find out more information or to donate to Scares That Care, you can go to www.scaresthatcare.org. Every donation helps Scares That Care 
fight real monsters. Hey guys, this is Steven Christina. I'm the founder, owner, creator, and host of Super Retro Throwback Reviews. Are you looking for the best movie reviews, music reviews, video game reviews, and Comic-Con coverage all around? Well then look no further. Definitely check out Super Retro Throwback Reviews on YouTube and our new audio podcast, the new and improved Super Retro Throwback Reviews Audio Files version 2.0 on the following media distributors. Podbean, Google Play, Stitchers, SoundCloud, iTunes, and Spotify. Class is over, John! Class is something new and improved! Welcome back. I'm here with filmmaker and musician Jay Crimson. He is here to talk about his films Green Hell, The Witch, and Crickets in the Snow, which all can be found on Tromanow's streaming service. How are you doing today, Jay? Pretty good, man. How are you? Good. What got you into filmmaking? Ooh, what got me into filmmaking? I'm going to say when I was a kid and watching the old John Carpenter Halloween from 1978 really made me want to start filming and making people get creeped out like I was creeped out when I watched that movie for the first time. Um, and John Carpenter, something about him. And uh, Prince of Darkness, The Thing, all of those those 80s classics that he came out with really influenced me to start filming my own creepy stuff. Besides being a filmmaker, you're also a musician. As you've been in underground bands such as No Class Assassins and Chemical Valley Mutants, what made you become a musician as well as a filmmaker? Um, well, I was, I always thought heavy metal, uh, like hardcore extreme metal and hardcore punk stuff like that and horror kind of went hand in hand. Um, I always liked extreme things. I first started listening to Misfits, Pantera, Metallica, Megadeth, stuff like that, and I wanted to start my own band and I started jamming with Dave Kelsey and Chris Stotler of No Class Assassins right out of high school. We had a band called God is Stoned, where I played the drums, and Dave played bass, and Chris was the singer, and uh, our buddy Mark Schmidt played guitar. Yeah, we, we did that. We didn't last very long, but then we, we realized we wanted to play other instruments, so I took up vocals because I always wanted to be a front man. Dave switched to the guitar, and Chris Stotler plays the bass now. He also plays bass in another band with me called The Candle Burners, where I play the drums, and Bruce Keith from the Billy Wolf Band plays guitar, um, old-school rock band. Chemical Valley Mutants, I started that up late last year, probably around Halloween time. Uh, I love hardcore punk. No Class Assassins is kind of on a small break while we start writing for our next EP or second album. Not sure yet. Um, it depends on the songs and how the songwriting flows. Uh, but Chemical Valley Mutants, I'd say, is my my main interest right now. We've got about six songs written right now and a couple covers, and we're going to start playing out, I think, sometime this year, 2023. We'll probably have a recording, too. Hopefully by the end of the year, but we'll see how it goes. And candle burners were just in the writing process. 
You have three films on the Troma Now service. How did you first discover Troma? When I first discovered Troma films, I heard about Lloyd Kaufman and his independent uh, crazy company called Troma when I first watched uh, The Toxic Avenger uh, when I was a young kid. And I was like, what is going on, man? Look, this movie is crazy. Um, and uh, Class of Newcomb High, uh, Surf Nazis Must Die, some classic uh, trauma films. Yeah, watched them. Always was a fan. I never knew that later on in my life I would become connected to them uh, when I did a podcast on my The Crimson Cult podcast with Lloyd Kaufman. And we talked about his movies and we talked about my movies, and we talked about my music and my podcasts, and he wanted to check them out. So once he checked out my movies, I got an email shortly after, maybe uh, a week or two later, saying that Tromo was interested in putting my movies on the streaming service. So the rest is history. That's The Witch. Jay Crimson Film, Crickets in the Snow, Jay Crimson Film, and Green Hell, Jay Crimson Film, all up on Troma Now, which is, you can go there at watch.troma.com. $4.99 a month. First month free. Speaking of Green Hell, tell everyone about that film. Green Hell was pretty much done for zero budget, very minimal budget. Um, it was recorded on a Sony Handycam if you remember those, back from, shoot, I don't even know how long ago. It was the first the first cameras to have the fold-out screen where you could watch what you're filming as you're filming it. It was the first type of camera to really uh, bring out that feature. This was a group of friends getting together on a project. Lots of mind-altering substances were taken during filming. James Anderson, without him, who plays the crazy redneck guy in the blue truck who breaks up the fight, without him, the film wouldn't have been possible. It was his camera, his gas cash. I could name another other VIPs when it comes to Green Hell, too. Uh, Joel Boucher, of course. I stayed with him over the course of most of that film process in Aspen Grove Apartments in Marysville, Michigan. And uh, without him, it, there wouldn't have been as much of a motivation to film a project. And all the group of friends, it was it, they're really what made it all possible. And rest in peace, Nick Fortuna. He played Tweaked Out Nick in one of the drug scenes. And he passed away last year. Speaking on uh, shooting this film, the film had this, like... 80s, early 90s look, the shot on video type look. What, oh, yeah. made, what made you want to go for that in the way the film is presented? Well, I've always been drawn to the whole glitchy VHS 80s aesthetic in movies. I like, uh, I actually edited that movie, I'd say about. 75% of that movie was edited using two VCRs and one television. And I wanted to do it that way on purpose, to bring forward that 80s vibe. I like the whole VHS, the tape glitches, stuff like that. It, it just colors it up and 
I'm an 80s baby, so I like all that, that whole thing. When was this film shot? Green Hill was shot in 2006 and 2008, and we released it finally in 2013, late 2013, around Halloween time. Me and Justin Squires of Dark Forest Media got together and edited it up, added in some cool music from a lot of local independent, like, hardcore metal and punk bands, and, yeah, we got it done, finally. I was sitting on the footage for a couple years, because I didn't know what to do with it, if it was worthy, because I had so much more I wanted to do, so many more ideas, but we got it together, and I I think it's, uh, for what it's worth, it's, you know, a decent little horror film. What were some of the challenges in getting this film shot, given... It took a while for this film t- from start to completion. What were some challenges? I would say towards a while, well, I can tell you towards the end, um, I had to plug in the camera to get it to work because the camera stopped working to its full effect at some point and I had to have an extension cord if we wanted to film somewhere far from you know, uh, outlet, an electrical outlet, outlet. And that made for some challenges. Um, some of the people being available, that's always a challenge and you have to film around stuff like that. But I think we made it work because we had a dedicated crew and they were interested to see what, what could come of it all. And it was just a fun time. The film focuses on drug addiction along with people hallucinating when drinking Green Hell, which reminded me of that Tenna Fly Viper drink in Street Trash. Oh, yeah. What made you want to focus on the drugs and the psychological aspects of these characters, and was that Green Hell drink a homage to Street Trash? Ooh, yeah, I want to say so. I might not have been thinking about it so much at the time, but I think that's really what put that bug in my head to uh, have it drug-themed or, you know, this crazy drink, this magic potion, this whatever it was. Yeah. Yeah, that was interesting. Street Trash is a hell of a movie and a big influence there. I might not have, like I said, I might not have thought about it at the time, but yeah, it is, it is a big influence on Green Hell. Nothing that this film has is a lot of blood. Was it like shooting the gore scenes given that you had zero dollars for this film? Well, we were resourceful, that's for sure. I remember Dave Vranish, one of the actors, using straws and somebody else was blowing, blowing the blood that was in their mouth through the straw. So it would shoot up, and we used, uh, I think it was a dial dish, dish soap bottle. We took that little, uh, the part on the top that goes, we took that off and hooked it up to a little hose so we could squeeze it and shoot the blood out of the hose during the sex scene. <laughs> that was a lot of fun. Oh, man. What a bunch of punk kids, huh? Yes, speaking of that, this film has a punk rock feel to it. What made you want to 
go for that in the film's tone. Ooh, I've never had anybody say that to me before. Not quite like that. Punk rock feel. That's cool, man. I like that. Yeah, it kind of does have a lo-fi punk rock thing going on. Again, with the VHS aesthetic, it probably had a lot to do with it. And a lot of punk and stuff came out in the 80s. Just that feel. It has a nostalgia retro thing going on. And I'm, I'm pretty sure that'll happen just because of the outdated equipment I was using. And it was, um, well, it was because we didn't have a lot to use. And we didn't have a lot of stuff to um, work with at the time. So I think that aspect is what makes punk punk. So a lot of people get the punk vibe from Green Hell because it definitely was uh, a basement film. The second film that you have on the streaming service is The Witch. Tell me about that film. The Witch was inspired by the old style black and white films. But it came off kind of artsy, like a black and white college art film or something, and that's cool. I am inspired by, you know, the lights in the dark, you know, filming twisted stuff, admit the chaos. Uh, so, very influenced by the old school monster films, and I always wanted to do a silent movie, even if it was only like six and a half minutes long. Uh, just have something in there that catches people's eye, and you'd be surprised where you can pull them. Now, were you inspired by any of the silent horror films for The Witch? Yes, and no at the same time. I wanted to put a little modern edge to it by having, when she fell, you can hear a sound. When uh, when my character calls out her name, uh, the music goes to it instead of actual audio. Um, I did all those things consciously, and uh, I just wanted to do something different and see if people caught on to it and enjoyed it. You also act in the film as well. What made you decide that you wanted to act in this film, besides directing? Well, I've always wanted to be an actor first. Uh, I just liked visually telling a story, but I think I got I became more comfortable behind the camera as time goes on, as time went on. But I feel like my acting talents are good enough to do, like, short parts. I, I didn't expect to play so much of a role in Green Hell as what ended up in the final cut. Um, and The Witch, I was meant to be, it was just meant to be me and Deanna in The Witch. And uh, just a short little story. And uh, I think it turned out pretty good for what it was. Now, the film has no dialogue... What made you decide not to include any chew cards and just make it reliant on the movement of the characters? Again, just, just trying to be a little bit different than your usual silent film. I wanted some of the songs to kind of fill in the dialogue, and you can pretty much guess what they're saying, if not a name, calling out a name, and stuff like that. Just uh, very subtle things. What made you want to focus it more on the music aspect? I'm a big music guy, and I am... Sometimes uh, the music alone can tell a story, and if you have something visual piggybacking on it, you can do some crazy stuff. What made you want to film this film in the winter time compared to any other time in the year? That's funny. That's a good question. Living in Michigan, it's always cold. 
we get we get hardcore snow, and uh, that's I maybe that's when I'm the most bored. Maybe that's when I decide to write a script and film something crazy, something something artistic. It's funny because that's not a conscious uh, thought either to film in the snow or to film out in the winter, but that's just what happens. And I don't think it happens in my newest movie, Lilith, but it just might. We'll have to see. Yeah, because when when I saw the film, I thought it was different. Because yeah, yeah. which one? The witch we're talking about still. That oh, you filmed cool. it in the snow. Yeah. Because when you're thinking of a film like this, you're thinking, oh, it's going to be running around a graveyard sometime in the spring or the, in the summertime. Right, and I did snow. I switched it up a bit. And it, it really added to the imagery of the short story. Good. I'm glad you think that. Thanks for the compliment. You're welcome. The, we'll move on to your final film, which is another winter film, Crickets in the Snow. Tell everyone about that film. Well, Crickets in the Snow, uh, it was pretty much just a, an homage to slasher films of the 80s with my buddy, again, Chris Stotler, the bass player of No Class Assassins, plays the slasher killer in that movie. And the title wasn't a conscious effort either, either until after I was done editing it, and I realized that it auto-put cricket sounds outside in the wintertime, and I'm like, wait a minute, I can't do that. And I was like, unless he, whenever he comes, the crickets come. And I never really thought of that, so I decided to name the movie that to maybe give someone a, you know, an inkling to why they heard crickets out in the snow, because that's kind of impossible. But it was an homage and a tribute to 80s slasher films. Now, you said it's a homage to 80s slasher films. Which ones? Which ones? Ooh, um, I would definitely say Halloween and the movie The Prowler, where uh, the, guy, the guy's dressed up like a, what was it, a, Someone from the war, dressed up in his army outfit. Yeah, I know you what ever, you're talking about, yes. You ever see that movie? Yeah, That's I've seen that. Movie. Classic, classic slasher. A lot of people don't know about it, except for the hardcores. Yeah, I think I've seen that on The Last Drive-In. Excellent. Which is one of my favorite shows. And I've seen a lot of films that I would never see. I've seen on The Last Drive-In. Right. One of the things that I liked about this short is it was very effective in building tension. How did you come up with the film's story? Well, Crickets in the Snow story. There's, there's probably, well, since it is so short, there's a lot of room for, you know, backstory and stuff like that. But I just thought just to, there's something about being all bundled up in a house during wintertime. And you see the girl coming down the stairs, and you see Holly coming down the stairs with the cat, and you look through. A lot of people miss that spot where you see uh, the killer in the window when she opens the refrigerator door. A lot of some people miss that, and uh, I just wanted. I, I always like how John Carpenter put Michael Myers in the background. You can see him in the shadows and stuff like that. 
and uh, the camera's movement panned either from left to right or from right to left, and it wasn't focused on him. So it's either if you caught it, you caught it, and if not, well, maybe next time. So a lot of stuff like that, the storyline stuff. Um, I wasn't thinking too far ahead with that, just showing a simple, you know, a simple murder in a, in the wintertime out in the country. Now, this film has a very distorted and grainy look to it, as it had a different look compared to the other two films that are on Troma now. How did you come up with the look for the film? Crickets in the Snow was actually... Uh, filmed on a really crappy camera. Uh, the Witch and Crickets in the Snow were both filmed with the same crappy camera. I don't even know what it was. It Like, when it comes to the brand, it was just crappy. And uh, I had four AA batteries in that thing. That's how cheap and crappy this camera was. And I, I believe I bought it for 20 bucks at Meyer. And... It ended up falling in the snow, and uh, it started glitching out on me, and I still filmed Crickets in the Snow with that camera, and then it died completely. So the graininess was probably a result of being mistreated. (laughs) Yeah, easily with the witch, you could hide it because it's black and white. Right. But you can clearly see it in Crickets in the Snow. (laughs) <laughs> yes, you can. Now, you have a film that's currently in production called Lilith. Tell everyone about that film. Okay, I'm pretty damn excited about this one. Lilith is, it's a graphic, gritty, psychedelic, dark, violent journey through the life of a junkie prostitute who decides to perform a ritual with witchcraft to summon help out of her horrible existence or her her terrible life. Um, I'll just say that she ends up becoming influenced by something, and crazy things happen to her from then on. She becomes haunted, and other crazy things happen. You'll just have to check it out to know what else. I was influenced by music videos, music videos and horror films, kind of combined. I wanted to do some trippy stuff with, you know, the old satanic panic witchcraft movies of the 60s and 70s. I'm really influenced by stuff like that, Um, like The Devil's Harvest and um, Horror Hotel, stuff like that. I just, that stuff really gets me. It was real surreal and vivid, and I loved the film grain and stuff they used back then, and I don't have so much of that in this movie. This movie was filmed with my Android phone in HD. So there's a lot of different things I'm being surprised with by my editor, Justin. He's showing me that he can do some things that I never thought could be done to cell phone footage. And I don't know. It's a twisted, dark, bloody graphic lucid dream, uh, but I promise people that they'll see something in Lilith that they've never seen on camera before. It's my shocker. Now, is this going to be a feature or another short? 
I'm we're aiming and hoping for my first full length movie, but uh, I'm big on not just throwing stuff in there for the sake of throwing stuff in there. So we'll have to see as we get closer to completion whether it'll be a full length or not. But yeah, I wouldn't be upset if it was my first full length movie. How far in the process is that film? Ooh, we are about, I want to say, 10 or 15 minutes in right now. So we got a little bit to go. we we still got a lot to do. Uh, we're just putting together the assembly of the movie right now. And I still have about two or three things to film for pickup shots and cutaways and stuff like that. Um, but I just want people to be entertained knowing they're watching a low-budget film. And uh, I think this is going to do the job. How can people keep update to the film? I always post updates on my Facebook page. I have my Facebook. I have a lot of links. You want me to say all the links? I'll leave that right at the end because we've got one more question after this. How about that? Since, okay. okay. Since we've got a lot of links. Why don't we say right, it I do all? have quite a bit. Besides that, any other films on the horizon? Um, I have a few sh- another shorter films that I think I'll be throwing out there, um, but not as worked on collectively hardcore as we are with Lilith. More in the vein of The Witch and Crickets in the Snow? They perhaps might be in the same vein. They might be a little bit more colorful. I'm thinking of adding some more, uh, just uh, focus on a few different vibes to show my versatility. I guess you could say. Okay, since you have that list, where can they find you in your production company on social media and on the web? All right, let's see. My Facebook pages are facebook.com slash noclassj, and that's my own personal page, and I will answer if you send a message. Facebook.com slash crimsonvideos which is a, just a Facebook page showing updates on my films uh, and, you know, behind-the-scenes footage and stuff like that. Facebook.com slash Chemical Valley Mutants is my punk band. Facebook.com slash No Class Assassins is my hardcore metal band, signed to Hellfire Records in Lansing, Michigan. Facebook.com slash Watch for Lilith is the Lilith, a J. Crimson Film Facebook page. YouTube.com slash KillYourBoss69, and that is my Crimson Videos YouTube page, where you can check out my short films, uh, behind-the-scenes clips, music videos, stuff like that. My Instagram, at JCrimson83, and my TikTok, at J underscore Crimson underscore Videos. Jay Crimson, I want to thank you for coming on to this podcast. Thank you very much for having me, man. Keep supporting the underground. Thank you, and have a good day. You too. Hi, I'm Anthony T. And I'm director Andrew Duran, and we are the Two Wrong Out. And we're putting Rated R back into podcasting. Every month, we will be dropping an episode on the Doc Discussions Network. We'll be chatting about some of our favorite films, news, reviews, and maybe interviews. You can find Two From Hell on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, 
Spotify and other podcast providers. And don't forget to like us on Facebook and Instagram at Two From Hell Podcast. Trust me, you're seriously not going to want to miss the show. Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show on these social media platforms. At Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling on Facebook, Instagram, and the Slasher app. On YouTube at youtube.com slash Media. On podcast providers like Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify, and other major podcast providers. And you can also join Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show group over on Facebook. Just type in Anthony T's Horror and Wrestling Show in the group section. What's Anthony T watching this episode? Well, Anthony T is watching a film from the producers of Anna and the Apocalypse. You know, the cult British horror musical, which is a very good film and a criminally underrated horror film. So yours truly decided to check out their latest film, Followers, which is currently playing on demand through various VOD providers. This is a film that I pretty much knew nothing about going into this film, with the exception of the fact that it was from the producers of Anna and the Apocalypse. So I decided to watch this film because I loved Anna and the Apocalypse. Well, I should be rethinking how I choose films in the future because Followers was flat out awful. Literally. It's like a literally bad film from start to finish. And one of the reasons why I really think this film really falls flat completely its direction. Because I did not like the direction of this film. I thought the direction was really bad. As this felt very flat from start to finish. One of the reasons why I didn't like the direction was the fact that all the characters were annoying, quite frankly. I did not like a single character in this film. They felt like they were annoying throughout the complete runtime of this film. And when you have a film that does that, you tend to lose interest very quickly, like I did here with followers. There was also a couple of lead performances in this film where I felt like it was overacted at times. It just added to the annoyance of their characters. And it goes down to a director telling an actor to play the role a certain way. Or letting an actor play the role the way he wants. Because this film has no good performances in it. This film is just 
annoying. Literally. The characters are annoying throughout this film. The other thing I did not like about this direction was the fact that it felt dull and boring for pretty much all of this film until, like, maybe the last 15 minutes of this film, as everything really had a dull feel to it. As I was uninterested in the action, I was not interested in anything that was going on. I felt sitting on my hands, waiting for something earth-shattering to happen. It doesn't happen. Then you just sitting there waiting for something to happen. It also didn't help that the film's screenplay was just awful. That was just as worse as the direction there. As writer-director Marcus Haben does a very awful job with the screenplay here. One of the things that he tries to do is explore the social media issues on vlogs. But I think he spends way too much time on that issue and how it's embedded in our culture. It felt annoying. It felt like it was hitting a repetitive note. When you have these vlogger critics keep popping up in this film. After once or twice, it just became so repetitive. It takes you right out of the film. And the story. You're trying to tell a story here. I get you're trying to focus on the social media. And how vloggers critique each other. But after like the second time. It got pretty annoying. And repetitive. When that happens. It really takes time out. Out of the film, and it just goes around in a circle. And you don't want your story to go around in a circle repetitively. You're not going to get to anywhere if the story goes in a repetitive state. And this film felt like every time after the second time the vloggers and critics appeared, it was going in a circle. And it got me annoyed. I don't want to see films that try to focus on a topic go around in a circle. Yes, after once or twice, I get what you're trying to do. But this, I think, went four times, and it just does not work. Seriously, it just doesn't work for me because I lose interest in this film immediately. You cannot have a film that just goes around in circles with the story. It takes away from what you are supposed to be doing. It's telling a coherent story, not going around in circles, trying to focus on your message, which I felt that happening a couple times in this film, as it felt like a broken record. And the characters in this film were just one note. You cannot have characters in your film that are just one note. And I felt like the four main lead characters in this film played the same note throughout the entire film. The characters need to develop during the course of the film. And I didn't get any sense of any of the characters developing during the course of this film. And it really is another massive strike and critique followers fails. You can't 
have one-note characters. And that's what it felt like. In summary, this film is just really bad. I'd stay away from this film. As Followers has a story that just misses the mock, just goes around in circles to the final act, and by then you just don't care about this film at all. It's easily one of the worst films I've seen so far this year. And the year is young, people. As I'm giving followers one star here. As this was truly an awful film. If you have a chance to unfollow this film, do it. Followers is a film that needs to be unfollowed. On the anti T's Horror and Wrestling Show Facebook page and Facebook group. I've put up my first official rankings of 2023, where I usually rank films every year on my Letterboxd account, which will have a link included in the post, where I rank the films, let you know what I'm thinking, what are the best films of the year so far, this and that, what are the worst films. I usually will post them once a month on the page from like April to November. These unofficial rankings. It's just what I'm feeling. I can change the order at any time. So don't think my number one film will be there tomorrow. I could change my another film and put in number one tomorrow if I wanted to. But these are just rankings of my top 10 films of 2023. The only time they become official is January 1st. Or whenever I start doing the year-end podcasts awards. That's when everything stops. And that's when I stopped figuring out what's really the top 10 films of 2023. So, it's just like a guide to what I'm feeling at the moment are the best films of 2023. That's up on the official Facebook page, the official Facebook group. Next episode, episode 96, I will be reviewing WrestleMania 39, both night one and night two, that's going to take up the entire podcast, obviously, because that's two shows to review. So I will be doing that next episode, and it will be coming out two weeks from now as we're going back to the two-week format. If I get the episode done early, then it'll be out early, but if it's not out early... Expect it in two weeks. I know, three episodes this month is a rarity. I usually do two episodes per month. If you get a third episode, think of it as an added bonus. As I've done at least seven episodes, so I'm one ahead this year so far in terms of episodes. It's usually I try to do 24 episodes a year or get around to that number of episodes like between 20 to 24 episodes, we're already at 7. And that's the end of March. So things are looking good for 24 this year. I hope to get to 24 this year at least. If you like this podcast, 
Don't forget to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and major podcast providers. You can also subscribe to this podcast through the Film Arcade Media YouTube channel at youtube.com slash filmarcademedia. With that, I want to thank you for listening to this podcast. Have a good day. Support indie wrestling and support indie horror. This has been a Film Arcade Media production.